All right, guys, welcome to the Hunter's Quest podcast. This is your host, Hunter McWaters. And today I'm here with an old friend of mine I haven't seen in a while, David Zock. How you doing, man? It's good to see you again. <laughs> yeah, you too, man. Um, it's been it's been a while. We were just kind of catching up um, before uh, we started rolling here. Um, but David is, I guess, the founder of a band called Remedy Drive, or a founding member, I guess. Yeah. Um, and a musician, and you're pretty much full-time doing, I mean, you are full-time doing music for how long now? For 20 years. Wow. Ever since college. Um, Dang. Uh, although I counted, I, I roofed my house this year. <laughs> a few weeks. That's a, that's a legit job. You roof the whole thing? Yeah, with my son and uh, my daughter helped a little bit too. Okay. We're talking about even doing the plywood. But that's what we did before we went full-time with the band about 20 years ago. We were roofing houses oh, okay. together. Um, gotcha. And that's when I counted. I was like, yeah, it's been 20 years now. Wow. So you've been, so you've been able to scrape out a living in the music industry for 20 years. That's, that's legit, man. It's not easy. Yeah. It's like a uh, double-edged sword because it's kind of it's it's kind of like I kind of want to boast about it. Like I made a living for twenty years, and I was like, "Man, I've been doing this for twenty years, and I'm not a household name." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just thankful to be making music and doing what I love. No, uh, I, I think yeah. doing what you like you said. I think just doing what you love, and like I I kind of put my toe in the water in the music industry for like a couple years when I got out of college and just knowing firsthand a little bit of how tough it is to make a living in the music industry. I, I mean, I say hats off to you, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's great. So are you guys still, you guys are still like touring and recording albums and stuff like that. Like, tell me a little bit about uh, what you guys end up to with as a band. So we've put out um, in the last decade, three indie albums and I'm recording the fourth right now. And honestly, just playing enough shows to, to keep, uh, to make the ends meet. Uh, my son has his senior year of football this fall. So I was telling him it's the first time ever in 20 years that I've slated off three months of Friday nights. Cause that's prime real estate. Right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not taking any concerts on these Fridays here. Um, but I'm gearing up for 24 to be playing some more shows. Okay. But I'm really excited about, I'm learning some new techniques with, uh, producing and mixing um even some of these old guys because usually with mixing historically you've needed all this real gear yeah uh, and some the 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 simulation of that real gear has gotten to it to to a high quality so it's, even some of these old school guys are using the the modelers rather than the the physical gear so i'm learning how to use some of those models nice we mix our music too which has been a fun fun thing to learn yeah, and you you live in like Franklin, Tennessee, or do you live in Nashville? Yeah, just between the two in a place okay. called Brentwood. I, I am in, but not of the suburbs. And I, I feel that <laughs> it's every day. Oh man, did you? Um, oh, that's another rabbit hole. Um, did you see that video of the um, of the Bigfoot sighting in uh, Baxter, Tennessee? That just recently dropped out. No, I, uh, you're going deep right away, but I'll have to check that out. <laughs> There's like a legit 
Bigfoot video that someone took in Baxter, Tennessee, right in your neck of the woods that like came out recently. Um, was it accidental or were they going where they got No, it? they saw it. It was in their backyard and they took a video and like you see this thing, it reaches out its arms like this and it's like seven, eight foot long arms. It's oh. and it's like black. It's crazy. Um the difficulty when you're when you're um looking for Bigfoot is he has long range telepathy, which makes it easy. <laughs> okay, so you you familiar with uh, the Squatch, huh? I've I've done some research. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you think? What do you think about him? Um, is he a species? They are they a species that landed here on the way to some other prison planet and crash landed here and have been living um, uh, subterraneously ever since. I don't know. Is are they remnants of the Nephilim interbreeding program between humans and fallen angels? I'm not sure. <laughs> My options open. Dude, okay, we got okay. Now I got a whole another list of topics we can go into. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's cool. Um, well, I just had to bring it up because it was it just happened right right near your neck of the road, so or neck of the woods. So maybe we can jump into some of that stuff later, but um. There's a few other things I want to hit with you too, but just for the audience, I know a little bit about your backstory, but um, just to give people some context a little bit, just maybe introduce yourself a little bit, kind of tell us a little bit about your backstory and um, how you kind of got to where you are now um, and kind of what you're, what you're doing on top of the music stuff. So I started Remedy Drive with my brothers, um, different, different of them uh, in high school and then into college. And um, wanted to stay independent because we, you know, we wanted to be original and kind of were a, a jam band early on. Fashioned ourselves like uh, Dave Matthews and Fish, but also, you know, Love and Pearl Jam and Chili Peppers and Smashing Pumpkins. and uh, But also Keith Green, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, and it kind of started Christian music back in the day uh, on the piano. So those are my influences. Um and we stayed in for a long time. Then we signed with Word Records, which was on Warner Brothers in 08, and had a couple songs that put us on the map and put us into people's houses and radios and cars and kitchens. And I'm really thankful for that time period. Um, but I spent a few years in the music industry. Uh, after, you know, we were touring 200 dates a year, 150 dates a year, just mm-hmm. to make a living. And it was, I'm so grateful for that because it really amplified our name and our songs into people's homes and people started listening. And a lot of those people are still with us today. Uh, but uh, it was difficult because in around 2012, 2013, I realized that there's only a certain number of songs that we're able to write in that particular industry, only a certain number of ideas that can make it through. Hmm. And they were very much uninterested with my idea of writing a concept album on boy soldiers, on child trafficking, on, slavery on injustice and on 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 justice as well social justice but social causes um uh and i remember my a and r guy saying around that time but hey isn't worshipful music about singing and all this other stuff is you know and i very disillusioned by it right Uh, and uh, my marketing director you know really successful guy but saying to me david i'm a whore and i need you to give me something i can sell so it was really, yeah, knowing yes. what I was like writing about. And I was like, I'm not. So I wrote this song, I'm a soul inside a body. I'm not a commodity. Hmm. And taking the angst that I had towards an industry that tries to own me and shrink wrap me and reduce my thoughts and my songs and my rhymes to the lowest common denominator, but then using that angst to represent uh, the cause of people that are still being enslaved. Hmm. 
trafficked and taken advantage of in 2012, 2013. And, and the, the fun part of the story was in 2013, a guy uh, was, um, he ran a charity. Uh, well, he, he was a youth worker way back in 08. And he heard my song all along on the radio. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, he, he had, there was a tragedy in his, in his youth group. And he listened to that song on repeat on the way to like to comfort some of the kids in the youth group. And so he knew me, but I didn't know him. That's 08, 2013. He messages us and says, hey, can I meet you? I'm doing some work fighting against human trafficking. Would love for it to talk. And we talked and here's a guy that's my age has three kids just like I do. And he learned how to spy on criminal networks that are selling girls for sex overseas. And he invited me to talk about the work and raise money for him. I said, I don't want to just talk about it. You got to take me with you. And that's mm-hmm. where, that's where it started for us. And then for the last 10 years, I've been working alongside his organization, the Exodus road, his wife, Laura is the CEO and she's run running things. Um, Laura Parker and Matt Parker. And then we've written three albums about, about trafficking, about hope, about justice. And so we've had a trilogy of counter-trafficking themed albums. Mm. And the, the first one was North Star, right? First one was Commodity. Okay. Second and one was North Star? Second one was North Star, um, titled after uh, Frederick Douglass's newspaper nice. of the same name. Nice, representing, representing a star that uh, runaway slaves would sing this drinking gourd song that would help them find and remember how to find the North Star and the nice side to run north. Okay. That's a great album. I still have that in my, it still pops up my playlist from time to time. And uh, oh. my son loves uh, Sunshine on Her Face. And, oh, yeah. Um, or is that what it's called? Sunshine? Sunlight, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But um, yeah, great, great album. Um, so I want to, I do want to definitely dive into your work with Exodus road and, and trafficking and all that, and talk about how we went together and did some of that stuff. Yeah. But, um, I want to ask you a little bit about the music industry because, um, I know that you're sort of like in the Christian music world, which may be somewhat insulated from the stuff, but I don't know. I think, but anyway, it's a in general since you've been in the music industry for 20 years you yeah. no doubt know people and know things and um and have seen you know it's a it's a ski it's like a seedy sketchy business for the most part like i said maybe christian music is a little different but um i don't know what what's your what's your take on that like it, yeah i don't know <laughs> um is that too broad of a question no, and and I don't. No, I know. I know. Um, I mean, we already talked about Bigfoot, so I'm well versed in <laughs> the theories and the concerns and the accusations. If you looked us up, you and I didn't talk about this. You will find out that um, our album cover for Commodity, um, a lot of flat earthers in like 2017, uh, uh, an astronaut posted a picture of our album cover and the same photo that we used, we thought it was a bullet hole because the lyric was, I need a bandaid. I don't need a bandaid for my bullet hole. Mm-hmm. And what it was, was actually a, um, a hole in the ISS from way back in the day. And so we, it was a free use 
picture oh, that we okay. gotcha. for a montage music video with a ton of great, and it, it really stuck out to us. So this astronaut posted that there was a current hole in the ISS, and he posted that picture to show what it would look like. And all, all the people that don't believe that space is real and that NASA only lies um, really jumped on the bandwagon and said, hey, they're just, they're, they're just, and I'm telling this whole story to set up my answer for you. Yeah. They're saying like, look, it's just a psyop. They're just trying to trick us again. They're just being so blatant about their lies. Um, obviously, this band is in on it or they're just using this band. And so people thought that I had sold my soul and was a um was uh so it was really fun to be on the <laughs> other side of the suspicion yeah know that it's completely baloney it was a, a random coincidence that we happened to use this photo and that they, they that this astronaut posted this photo but i went on like flat earth podcasts i went on like all sorts <laughs> of podcasts at that time and said i'm sorry you know i have a lot of questions too but this is not the smoking gun you hope for right you know, at, with at also the lyric from Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, space might be the front, final frontier, but it was made in a Hollywood basement. Yeah. Um, and all those questions. And then you bring in all the craziness about, um, and with sex trafficking also, there is a lot of craziness out there with what people believe. Yeah. With, um, you know, Wayfair furniture and um, just all, all of this. And somehow it's always conveniently partisan or uh, elite based. And they, they can blame a certain party, they can blame elites, they can blame people that are different than them, they don't understand, and say that's what's going on, and that's what sex trafficking is, or that's, that's what Hollywood is, or that's what the music industry is, and everybody in it sold their soul to the devil in order to, to be successful. That's kind of baloney. That's, mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's insane. And I tell that whole story that I just told um, to point that out. Is there weird stuff happening? I think so, you know? Because you think of Chester Bennington, you think of uh, the head of Soundgarden, what, I forgot his name, the lead singer of Soundgarden. I don't remember. Both of them dying um, in odd circumstances and researching some weird things going on in Hollywood. They were both part of a non-government organization trying to pinpoint some of the weird stuff that we're talking about here. So it's not to say there's not really bad actors in any industry. For sure. Um, and for, so for me, when you ask about the music industry in general, you're going to find out soon about one particular Christian uh, organization, not just a band, but a, um, a company that they're involved in that is one of the most corrupt, dirtiest, most awful organizations you've ever heard of doing the most awful things and then parading around, partnering with uh, evangelists that know that there's something corrupt partnering with festival owners and label owners and booking agents and management, a whole bunch of people covering up for a really gross situation that really implicates the whole Christian music industry. Um, everybody knows about this thing. It'll come out hopefully this year or next year, but it has to come out in the right way because everybody's going to say, oh, it's just another attack. Uh, but there's, there's just like any industry, there's really corrupt people. And well, you're just going to leave that cliffhanger bomb right there? I, wouldn't you love for me to break it on your podcast? <laughs> Dude, come on. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's so dirty that, that um, I mean, people are afraid to talk. People are afraid to put themselves um, at risk because it's a powerful, powerful individuals that um, are litigious and have a lot to protect hmm. and have protected. And so I don't, I don't, um, I don't like to think that the music industry in itself is particularly corrupt. I think everything's 
has the potential. for sure. And I wasn't trying to say that like every single musician is evil and they're all like Satanists and stuff like that. Because yeah. I don't, I'm not that naive to think everything's black and white. But at the same time, I do feel like there is kind of an anti-god agenda behind a lot of music not all music but and some people are just musicians and they're normal people but um i i i feel like there definitely is like some agenda behind some stuff um i mean some of the symbolism you see in some of these big acts i don't know um it's definitely i feel like it's there not saying like everybody's sold their soul but probably some people have I bet some people have, man, and whatever that means, I'm not sure what that means. Is that I don't I don't think that people are given a certain amount of talent or not, but I know there's weird people. There's weird people, and there's weird people in all facets of life, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of weird people that are artistic. You know, um, I mean, people were coming at Toby Mac for that one Eye on It tour because he, you know, they were saying it was a, you know, an Illuminati. Oh, like Eye on It, yeah. <laughs> And that was that's what was so funny about being on my side of it with my album cover, just right. how sure people were that I was this thing. Right. So, so I, I answered your question with that caution because um, I've heard it about everybody and I've heard it about really good, decent, decent people. You know, people love to attack. Um, I mean, I, that that idea that people are only successful or can only be successful if they've like joined some occult thing is odd to me but i yeah. think that the occult is real and um there's people that are really involved in occult stuff and then i think there's stuff that looks like it and then right. any symbol any symbol you know i i don't i don't allow symbols to be taken by the dark side you know i grew up not celebrating christmas because christmas has all these really dark and um occultish yeah like uh, pagan stuff whatever yeah Yeah, i said like happy easter on this one podcast i did with with this guy timothy alberino and like people like easter is a cult i'm like okay maybe it is based on an occult but everyone knows what i'm talking about is the resurrection of jesus right now like give me a break and this you know the thing that's weird about it is this kind of stuff i feel like like I said, there is truth in it. There's also people that go too far in it and it attracts people like me, but also attracts like people who maybe are a little off their rocker too. <laughs> so like yeah. you have like those people that like kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say give the whole thing a bad name, but. Well, I mean, I think here, here's, here's the sad part for me. I have, I am more versed in conspiratorial stuff than anybody you'll meet like my uh, my my um imagine signing on some kid somewhere in some part of the world signed on to play rocket league with me and ended up playing against me and my son and my son's like jackie big dog something something and i'm nephilim star (laughs) (laughs) and this kid whoever he was his his name was um anunnaki something so just the coincidence so i've studied ancient sumerian texts i'm i'm really into it like i love it and it's always been something that is intriguing to me and has no bearing on the way i live my life none whatsoever right Mm -hmm. and and i fight against human trafficking and sex trafficking but then when a ton of people had a ton of time in 2020 the whole thing got really gross and really disappointing and 
what was kind of a treasured fun part of my life was marred by just crazies coming out and saying crazy things. And really it changed the way a lot of people live conspiratorial things. Mm. Um, and therefore it became not as fun. And, and it also became, uh, I think less, um, I think as a person with any sort of influence, I had to take a big step back to even jokingly talk about, um, you know, Sasquatch, um, to be like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to nudge somebody down a path that, that, because I think this one flat earth podcaster, I think he might have lost his marriage because it was like a deal breaker for him that his wife become a flat earther. Oh my on, gosh. On biblical grounds. Like he wow. got on the podcast and said, the Bible says flat earth, which it does very clearly. Bible says young earth too. Um, but I'm not necessarily <laughs> adhering to either of those things. Um, it's just, that's, and that, that opens a whole can of worms for you, but. Dude, I think I remember like when I first met you, like I had dinner at your house and I think you might have like, like mentioned some of this stuff, but I like wasn't even like even there yet. And I was like, okay, whatever. But now it's like coming full circle. I'm asking you about all this stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and so for me, there's this gradual thing. Went to a UFO seminar when I was in 11th grade. Yeah. And, you know, I've been studying it, looking at it. My, my dad was a little bit into it, but recognized, um, that there is a danger with it, like, like warping, you know, change, you know, warping your mind. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I come to the conclusion because, you know, people say, people that are conspiratorially minded will say that the UN's bad, government's always bad, um, uh, Hollywood's bad. But I know people in Hollywood. I know people at the UN. I know law enforcement agencies, and there's good-hearted people working hard, mm -hmm. and there's corruption. And, and um, as someone that's a person of faith, my real focus on corruption is the corruption that I can deal with. Yeah. And I have found that there is um, a massive plank in the eye of any evangelical Christian in the United States that is pointing out corruption and they're not looking at their own church building, mm -hmm. the way money is spent, at their own, at their own uh, network of churches, their own denominations, whether it's the Southern Baptist Church or the Catholic Church or the you know, and the abuse that's being covered up and swept under the rug in so many ways. Mm. So I don't take anyone seriously that's pointing the finger at Hollywood or pointing the finger at the Democratic Party without pointing the finger at their own denomination and saying, what are we doing? How are we listening to women that are that are saying these stories are happening? Camp Cunnacook, the Christian camp where they covered up the abuse of so many boys for so many years and put the families in non-disclosure agreements. That stuff really bugs me. And let's mm. start there let's clean our house before we start pointing the finger at everybody else that's the way i see yeah it. no absolutely man um yeah it's you definitely can you can go down that road too far and you start you know thinking every single thing you see is a psyop and you know yeah. <laughs> and like you said there are really good people like you know in like these these arenas um you know i think there's also like different levels of you know, government and stuff or organizations where, um, like, you know, my, my, uh, great uncle was like a very high level Mason, but like the best dude, like one of my like role models and like an awesome guy, Christian guy, but at the same time, like are the Masons at some level involved in some bad stuff? I don't know, maybe, but doesn't mean every single person who's in that is like evil or I don't, I don't know. It's like, there's, there's levels, you know? 
there's people hearing you that it's it will sound to them like being like oh yeah i know somebody in the illuminati and it's like are all these <laughs> i know yeah there's some people just to mention mason you know yeah and he was just a totally normal like blue collar dude my uncle jim like i got a picture of him back here he like started me off hunting and stuff um yeah. And he told me before he died, he's like, go to this place and ask about the 33rd Scottish Rite Masons. And I, I never did it, but um, I don't know. Um, and then the people that are like 33rd Parallel, Roswell on the other side of Mount Horrible, the Angels Fell, and the and the the 33 Degree Masons in the in the Apollo flight to the moon. Yeah. And, and so for some people, even because I was that way for a while, when I thought, well, if you're a Mason, then you're they're part of some sort of like deep state cover up. Uh, and hiding the truth from the entire planet and i realized man i, I gotta be careful i'm not gonna I, I don't want to i don't want to live my life just as suspicious of people i want to live hopeful yeah also knowing that there's evil people doing evil things um because it's it is more fun or to think of the world as as a big psyop like you're saying is everything's a psyop and everybody in certain industries are bad um you know i have a don't uh, you know, I have lyric about the industrial military complex and, and the pharmaceutical industry. And, and yet I know people in the military industrial complex that are great people trying to yeah. change the world, you know? Yeah. And in the pharmaceutical industry that are great people. Yeah. My wife's brother, you know, he's, 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 he, he works in the fire and she, he's worked hard, uh, on my wife, wife has eczema. And we're so thankful for the, the, the recent improvements and, and yeah. And, that, and yet, you know, I wish there was something else I could take other than Advil to, you know, to, to for my migraine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you got to be careful with broad strokes and, and anything. But um, do you do you know uh, my friend Nate Henry? Where would I know him? I know uh, a lot of- he was he was a touring musician. Now he he hosts the Blurry Creatures podcast, and they live wow. in Franklin. I haven't met him. Oh, dude, you would love him. Have you heard that podcast? No, what's it about? Blurry Creatures. Oh, it's all, dude. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> You're gonna love it when you find this thing. Um, it's all about, um, it's all about all that weird stuff that okay. we've just been talking about. But they're Christians and they live in Franklin, Tennessee, and it's all through like a, a biblical worldview. I just had them on my podcast too. Um, and he was, what was the band he was with? Good Charlotte. Oh, really? I they're think that's. Wait, I may have said the wrong band. I can't remember, but I, he was in. I have to look it up now, so I don't. Like I think bands going. bands are more knowledgeable about this stuff because we have more time to drive together, <laughs> and, yeah, and talk and listen to podcasts. And, Sherwood, sorry, not good, Charlie. Okay, he was in the band Sherwood. Yeah, I've been yeah. thinking about it. Like Stone Temple Pilots, what's that name mean? Yeah, that means the the gray aliens or whoever was on the pilots of the spaceships that landed on the Stone Temple. Same with like Foo Fighters. Mm. fighters were were ufos in world war ii that that a lot of fighter jets were, were well about. since you segued into it what do you think about this alien disclosure stuff um i i i've always hoped that they would that they would be really open about it but it just seems so consistent now that people aren't even it's odd to me that people don't really care yeah people, no it's like oh yeah there's aliens okay and people <laughs> think it's just goofy like i don't i'm not i'm not saying there's aliens even though i believe that there's so many habitable planets in in the universe, um, but there's something odd with the UFO phenomenon and with it and as you know, Hillary and Bill called it the UAP, which means they're paying attention mm-hmm. on a, a area phenomenon that 
Obama's chief of staff, Podesta, or whatever he worked, he said his biggest regret with the Obama administration was they didn't, he thought that it would be the administration to disclose to the American public what's going on with the UAP. Um, there was that whistleblower that came out like a week or so ago talking about how we have craft and bodies like recovered in possession. And he was like, he worked for the ARRO office and um, like very good credentials. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there uh, ever, ever since the beginning, there's been, I mean, there's Ed, Edgar Mitchell. Um, there's uh, Bob Lazar. Well, Edward Mitchell has a certain degree of credibility. Bob Lazar does not have that credibility for whatever reason. But yeah, yeah as Bob says, some, I'm I'm talking about like high ups. Like uh, there's a def former defense minister from Britain. There's a defense minister from Canada, um, and all. There's so many people that are saying something's going on, and different people say different things. And it's, I'm just fascinated by it because I'm like, what is really going on? You know, there's yeah. talking about seven you know, seven stories underground and in the desert of, of military bases. Um, the deep underground military bases? Deep underground. And and if you ask my kids, my kids would say, what I what I truly hypothesize is there's some connection to an intense study of the transfer of consciousness. Wait, say that again? I, I if if I had to if you if then I can't believe I'm saying that this was my guitar player's cue to leave stage if I ever talked about this stuff publicly. <laughs> so I would just slow my guitar down and go get an Uber home <laughs> if you ever talk about this stuff <laughs> But no, I think if, if, if someone was really like, what do you really think is going on? I think that uh, consciousness transfer or soul transfer would be the end game. And so any experiments that happen, um, uh, especially, uh, and, and especially with the rise in technologies that would give us digital immortality and maybe even mm. being able so to So like transhumanism. Exactly. I think transhumanism is the end game of the UFO phenomenon, whatever it is. Um, well, that's the end game of – that's probably the end game completely of the enemy because once we give up our humanity, we're no longer like eligible for dominion on earth. Or this um, – the mercy of of the creator stepping in uh at babel at in the garden of eden whenever don't you know says the enemy you know the enemy the serpent race whatever mm -hmm. it was don't you know that you can be like god and so for us to achieve god likeness or immortality apart from redemption mm -hmm. which i think i think the destination for our race would, would be, we would create hell that way. We'd create yeah. our own. It's like it says in revelation, like you, they're begging for death, but it won't come. Mm. And if that happens in our lifetime, like I think our children have a lot of ethical, difficult, ethical decisions to make, you know, I, I think that a microchip would be incredibly practical in so many ways. Like I love the idea. In your but, brain? Yeah, well, you know, it's for tracking. You know, I'd love to be able to track my kids all the time. I, oh, dude. I'm just saying it. It would be incredibly practical. I, I, yeah, I mean, in I some ways, yeah. I don't want it, though. You know what I mean? Right. And so in, in in many ways, the Amish are really right on the money. They just started a little bit too early. And the question for our children's generation is, what is the line? What are you willing to, where, where are you willing to, um, 
what are you willing to to do for the sake of like is digital you know google glass is that cool what about yeah what about google contact and if you're going to do google contact why not a google implant you know yeah like um and it's a it's a slippery slope um and i love technology i love spy gear too i love a google contact you know um, <laughs> that'd be good for your line of work but where do you where do you draw the line with the, with technology i think is a great and a lot of people are like oh you're you're describing the plot of such and such a movie i'm like no this stuff they're taking it from us operation paperclip in all the comic book stuff that's a real operation you know mm-hmm. like uh, when when the Nazi scientists uh, went to NASA and von Braun, the Nazi, the SS Nazi, takes us to the moon. Yeah, science, that's real, you know. And what other sciences did did we benefit from because of all the unethical and really dark occult inspired oh, yeah. that the Nazis did? And all the names of like the lunar missions were all like you know Apollo and all these um, you know ancient gods. Yeah, and um. You had the 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 first Apollo mission that was supposed to go to the moon that burned up on the tarmac. Anyway, um, man, I did not realize this was going to be such a. I thought, we're, like, how are we going to talk about hunting together? <laughs> I've, shot, I've, I've shot at some pheasants, but I've never hit. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about hunting evil. Okay, good, good. Like <laughs> well, okay, let's maybe we should shift focus now. Um, uh, from you know, away from all the uh, aliens and conspiracy and nephilim and stuff, but it's all interrelated. It's all kind of very weird. You know, I think I think you're very wise and you bring some balance into it, which is which is very needed because, like you said, you know, people can go way off, and I've see I've had to like kind of tell myself, like, right, whoa, okay, relax. Like you can't go too far down this rabbit hole yeah. because you can. It's just like if you if you sit there and you listen to um, like podcasts and TV shows about serial killers, like all day, every day for yeah. like weeks, you're going to start looking at everybody like, Oh, they're, they're a serial killer, you know? <laughs> you know? So like, if you just focus too much on this stuff, it, it's not good. But at the same time, um, you should be aware of what's going on and, and look into it, but you got to have balance just like anything in life. So, you know, and with your, with your segue into, my work fighting injustice, um, looking at darkness intently. Um, I don't mind doing it. It's important to do as long as you don't get the feeling like, Oh now I got to fix all of it. Mm. My response to it is I, I will do a little bit. Um, cause that's what I have the ability to do. And part of the way that I'm going to combat this evil is by being lazy and goofy and fun. Like just having, fun downtime with my kids and mm. celebrating our life together in the face of evil um is is also important to do you know um sure. and that's what i'm in the middle of right now just traveling traveling around visiting relatives with my family even though i was just on the streets facing evil face to face a week ago you know mm. yeah that's so good man um all right so segue into that so I'll just give my listeners a little. I've never, I've ever even told the story, but to give my listeners kind of some context of how we connected and stuff. When I was working for the Seven Hundred Club, um, I think actually your publicist or somebody that works with you reached out to my boss and was kind of like, "Hey, yeah. this is a cool story." And my boss mentioned to me, "I was like, yes, I want to do that." 
And, um, and so what you do, and I, forgive me if I'm butchering it, but I'm just going to kind of give the summary version and then you can, you know, tell more detail and we'll talk about it. But, um, basically you've partnered with this organization called the Exodus road. Yeah. Um, which their mission is to fight modern day slavery, which, uh, takes, takes the many forms of, it could be, um, labor, uh, you know, labor slavery, like on these fishing boats you hear about in the South Pacific or in these like brick factories in India. Um, but a lot of it is, um, human trafficking and sex slavery in Southeast Asia and other places. And so, um, that's something that you've kind of stepped into and I'll let you kind of talk more about it because I know there's some, um, confidentiality stuff, but basically we did a story on the 700 club about it. And I actually went to Thailand and we met up and we went together undercover into some of these, I don't know, I guess you'd call them bar slash brothels. And we were in Phnom Penh actually uh, at that time. And I was wearing a hidden camera (laughs) and uh, filming some of the stuff. And that's similar to some of the stuff you do. Um, I was doing it to do this story and um, it was very eye-opening, very wild experience. And I remember at one point, I don't know if you remember this, but um, I had my little, I had a, my, I had a camera that was a button on one of my shirts and then I had like a little receiver in my pocket and I was wearing shorts and like, you know, this girl came up and was all like, you know, trying to get on me and stuff. And like, she looked down and there's a wire coming out of my shorts and she's like, what's that? (laughs) I was like, Oh, uh, excuse me. I went to the bathroom and like fixed it. Uh, And then we kind of like got out of there. But um, anyway, it was a wild experience and I'm laughing because it it was looking back. It's funny, but it's not a funny situation. Um, These ladies, these young ladies um, are in horrible situations. They're usually there a lot of times because their families maybe were in debt and kind of sold them or they're lied to. Um, and many times underage women end up in these bars where they're sold. Um, it's very sad. I had some other really heartbreaking conversations with some girls. Um, and, uh, and you have dedicated a lot of energy and time to working with the local authorities and this organization to find underage women that may need help and then reporting back. So, um, that's kind of the overview, but I want to hear kind of from your mouth, sort of, um, what that work is like. Yeah, we were in Cambodia, actually, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And the night that we were together um, was more about telling the story. And yeah. and I loved that you got to see firsthand what it's like, because a lot of people are like, man, how do you how do you even operate in that scenario? And and it is it, it is a really hard scenario to operate in. But one of my favorite things about those bars in Cambodia, because a lot of times if someone doesn't know the language, there's not a lot of talk about. And then there's a lot of pressure to move the the initial hello how are you let's have a drink together and then it's like let's go upstairs like that there's really nothing else to talk about yeah but there if you remember um uh, some of the establishments you were able to play um connect four yeah they had little games and stuff and talk and and i think that a lot of times if there's debt bondage um some of the girls are making a little bit of money maybe off that drink sale when you buy them a drink and um it's hard to tell whether or not that girl is a minor or if she's of age. Uh, and even if, even if, um, 
she is a minor, she might have a fake ID. Uh, it's hard to get a case against an establishment that's mm -hmm. selling minors unless you can prove that there's multiple ones and that they're more like 15 and 14, not so much 16, 17. And it's hard to, to guesstimate a girl's age in countries that I'm not from, especially yeah. in age, it's hard to, you know, the girl might be 20, but looks 15. The girl might be 15, but looks 25. Um, and so we have to be in there. We have to be in these places because no one else is in these places. There's only a few non-government organizations that are involved in intervening in human trafficking right now and specifically the sex trafficking of minors. Um, and so what it looks like is kind of like it look, what it looked like for us. I'm more careful than you were with my <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I was like going kind of on my own because, yeah. you know, the, the organization that you work with wasn't able to like say, okay, yeah, go for yeah, it. We sanction you to go out with us. Right. So I basically went on one of these like spy websites and like bought my own hidden camera and just like, I'm doing this <laughs> against some people's advice, but I just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and there's other reasons why people would record in those establishments, sure. obviously, but you still risk getting beat up. And my biggest concern would be if I get caught is uh, ruining an ongoing investigation. Because mm -hmm. sometimes there's the initial like this place is selling minors. And so you send back another team and then maybe the first team goes back a few days later. You're 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 getting to know um, as much as you can about about these potential victims, these potential. Minors. It's like reconnaissance, really. Yeah. And then using digital forensics too, open source information, social media accounts and linking, linking. Um, and we have a ton of technology with the Exodus Road in Colorado Springs to, uh, and we have experts to run that technology that can take the on ground intelligence and turn it into a target package that we then take to law enforcement. And what was really great last week in the country I was in, um, a lot of times it takes law enforcement going back with their undercover agents, which are locals, which raises suspicion when mm. locals go in because they know it might be law enforcement. So a lot of clubs don't allow locals in. Um, but what was great about this particular case that I have to stay quiet about in terms of the location until it comes out publicly was that the National Law Enforcement Agency uh, looked at our footage, looked at the the target package that we created along with our team in Colorado Springs that did the uh, online. Um, and I don't, I don't think they had to use the dark web in this particular instance, but they have that capability if they need to. Mm -hmm. um, they, they said, what you have looks legit. We're going to get all the appropriate paperwork and we're going to do the raid without having to verify on our own, which that was amazing. And yeah. that speaks to an organization that I get to volunteer for that I'm proud of this organization that um, has invested so much time and energy into building that relationship with that particular branch of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And we have those types of relationships in every country we operate in uh, at regional and national levels um, and both regular cops and counter trafficking cops, um, which is a huge part of it because they're thankful for the support of, of, volunteers like myself that have the training, have the skill set and have the equipment necessary to, um, to do this really challenging work. Yeah. So you're, you're basically just again, to restate, um, you're uniquely positioned as foreigners, as you know, white American basically to kind of go into these 
bars where ladies underage many times um, can be bought. Um, and that's kind of something that they, the local cops can't really do. Like I said, they'll raise suspicion um, and you can go in there and gather evidence and then report back and then hopefully um, save some of these ladies or um, bring down some of these establishments. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And that particular raid uh, resulted in, I thought there might be two or three minors, but there was more than that. Mm. that were rescued and a few girls that were over the age of 18 and three traffickers being arrested. And that's the goal because not only does that, um, not only does that provide a new life for those, those, those girls, um, it takes those traffickers off the street mm -hmm. and it sends a message to that whole street. And if it hits, if, if it hits the news cycle, it makes people reevaluate their, their choice of career. It drives up the average age. Uh, it's, it, it makes it more difficult and more dangerous to ask about minors for yeah. customers. So it de-incentivizes minors. I mean, we were in Phnom Penh, um, right next to Phnom Penh. There's a street that was known internationally for um, trafficking of younger, younger kids. And now there's, now there's a school there on that. Oh, wow. You know, where Agape International, where our band makes a, a lot of our T-shirts and buys a lot of kimonos and stuff from, they they not only restored the lives of all those children, took a lot of those traffickers, put them in prison, took a lot of the Johns, put them in prison, but they restored the physical places yeah. that, where this street used to be known for this. Now it's known for opportunity. It's known for education. It's known that's awesome. for employment opportunities for young women. Yeah, and that's that's a huge part of it too is aftercare, which I, when I was there over in Southeast Asia, I was doing a several stories. One was uh, the story I did with you, but then some of them were with aftercare organizations and stuff like that. And one of them was, uh, you know, these orphanage thrive Inter or thrive rescue. Um, I mean, they had kids in there young, I'm talking six to 10, you know, years old that some of them, some of them were just coming out of bad family situations, but some of them actually were coming out of, trafficking and it's it's yeah. uh it's terrible but um we we had mentioned earlier like that pinned post that you made like i'd say about a year ago um yeah. on your social media um since that one's kind of out and and kind of done can you kind of talk talk to me a little bit about that kind of situation yeah that was awesome um i uh i'll still be less specific about sure since that was um uh, there's a street, a popular street in Asia, uh, that's known for sex tourism. Um, and on that street, I've been on it recently. And I, ha I have one, uh, worker at a club that said, the work we do here is legal, but it's not legal. And I was like, Oh, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's legal, but it's not legal. And I was like, I don't understand. And he's like, this work is human trafficking. <laughs> he said yeah. those words to me. Jeez. And I was like, how, man? You know, I'm pretending to be ignorant about it. He's like, we sell the girls. And um, what happens is clubs know that there is a premium to sell a minor. And there's also a premium to sell a virgin. And uh, unfortunately, in uh, many parts of the world, there is good luck associated with having sex with a virgin. Like, uh, and so, um, so they can they can ask a lot of money for that 
right. change. And, um, and that's a particularly valuable case for us to work because um, it can expose and root that out and just like, I, I want people to be like, I don't even want to mess with that. Like, I want people to say, no, I'm not going to partake in that kind of inter interaction. And yet we found somebody that was eager to, to, um, you know, sell us the virginity of a girl for like four grand equivalent in USD and to count Which is that a lot, lot of money over there. Yeah. A lot. And they were willing to take risks and they knew they were taking risks. And so to count that out took a long time, mm. bills, you know, and I videotaped the whole interchange and wow. went in, we had undercover police with us. And, uh, as soon as that interchange happened, it's not like you think it's not like, boom, the music's kept on playing for another three, four minutes, probably. So suddenly, you were the guy like quote unquote buying this yeah. virgin. Yeah. Wow. And you count out the money and pay him and everything. And, uh, and, uh, we had, there was about 50 girls and women in, in the club I was in. Um, and then right down the street, another club, same things happening. And it's Exodus road, uh, in, in, with, with law enforcement, the local counter trafficking police. And, uh, then, then you see a little bit of, of a skirmish, you see some flurrying, and then you see the dudes coming in with whatever the long rifles are, uh, with the ski masks and everything, the SWAT guys, and then everybody, you know, everybody kind of gasps. Yeah. This really tough woman, um, says I'm so-and-so with such and such a department and we have suspicion of human trafficking here and, uh, really calmly and confidently, but with a little quaver in her voice, you know, cause it's a nervous thing. Um, because she's going up against a corrupt system. Mm -hmm. um, she's going up against international, international criminal networks. And in that particular raid, an international, uh, kingpin, uh, was arrested. Wow. And it really shook things up there. Uh, and it shook things up in law enforcement too. And so it, for me, it's a really uh, an honor and a privilege to be part of something that's, that's bringing it at the very least we brought to light what's happening. Yeah. Did they and, have to like pretend to arrest you or anything to like keep? Uh, sadly, no, that's always been my goal. <laughs> <laughs> but like you were, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when we talked, um, I don't think you had to, at that point, like, been like in the room when like a raid happened or, yeah you know and so that's amazing because it's so hard to go over there you got i got two weeks and yeah. to get everything all the stars to align in those two weeks granted i did go to latin america once and this might have been since we talked and i love this kind of work where um the police knew of several networks of traffickers but they mm -hmm. just couldn't get you know they can't tap mm -hmm. whatsapp they're trying so hard. We can't crack WhatsApp. Um, and so we had all these techniques to pull the traffickers out of theirs, of the safety of, you know, cause they're deleting messages, deleting photos that they send yeah. on both sides on WhatsApp. You can delete on both sides. Um, so we had some techniques that they wanted to set up these sting operations, but they needed Westerners. They called it the gringo effect. And so that was easy work, you know, right. Just bought a bunch of alcohol, um, had a bunch had several parties at several different locations that were our locations that we could control the environment we could control the wi-fi we can control the uh, mm. cctv um 
and then they're coming to us and that was awesome um and then and then uh i'm trying not to give away too much information but they all got pulled over on the way home so you can id everybody that's an excuse mm -hmm. to him under a different pretense right you know and so now everybody has to present a real id to law enforcement mm -hmm. they don't realize that the law enforcement has ulterior motives you know yeah driving things it just a you know what is what is this and so these cops are smart man they're they're brilliant and even when we went undercover on that one there uh the d the da came out on one night oh no way and just drank a couple beers and sat with us um and that what was great about that is uh, some of the female law enforcement agents uh dressed up pretending to be uh, professionals girls you know yeah and girls and and uh were able to interview uh, interview you know without it feeling like an interview some of the victims yeah uh, of these traffickers and for that one that was great because we set it up and then they hit all those uh different networks the same night and it was the night after i got home and i was still on a thread with all the police and so i got to see the helicopter i got to see the the traffickers homes that i'd been in just recently the gates getting smashed down and the swat rushing in and wow happening i got to see all the footage and the videos of that um and the photos of these guys and gals that were trafficking these vulnerable a lot of vulnerable refugees honestly from venezuela were being were being coerced into this work mm. yeah i just i remember like um after the night that we went out it was like the one of the weirdest like mix of emotions i've ever had because yeah. it was like it was kind of this like euphoria excitement that like we kind of just did something yeah. and like it was quote unquote successful. Like I said, we were just really mainly telling the story. We weren't really like doing what you normally do, but you know, it was, but at the same time it was heartbreaking Yeah, and it was like this just really weird mix of emotions. Cause I remember one place we were in, I remember seeing a girl, I know she had to be no older than 14 and like, cause I, and like the, the mama son was like, like trying to like encourage her, but also kind of force her to come talk to us. And like, yeah. she, you could tell she didn't want to come talk to us and yeah. they were kind of pushing her towards us. And then, and then the last place we went, uh, we were playing connect four with the girls and stuff. And I was sitting there and, um, uh, I was, I was just trying to talk to her and she actually spoke pretty good English and she had a necklace on a cross necklace mm -hmm. and she like reached in and grabbed it and looked at it and like asked me about it. And I, and I kind of was like talking about Jesus and stuff, but I was just like, it was just terrible because I was like, I'm pretending to be this like CD dude who might want to buy her. But then I'm wearing this cross necklace and I wanted to just like, I don't know, do something, but there's nothing I could really do. And it was just uh, this weird emotion of just, it was just sad, man. Yeah, getting over that sense of helplessness um, uh, and having fear um, and sorrow heightened simultaneously with overstimulation of the, the music being loud, mm -hmm. smoke, the alcohol, so a lot of times the drugs, the cocaine and the, and the, the ecstasy, like synthetic ecstasy, like sniffing stuff in Latin America, all that's there. And then the the sexualized atmosphere and the weirdness um, mm -hmm. of it reminds you of like some of the outfits that like cheerleaders wear back home sometimes and and the sorrow of a child being stuck in this and looking over and seeing a 250 300 pound old old guy sitting with a 
16 year old girl yeah it's gross you're taking all that in and yet you're scared of being you know you're uh you're scared of being found out with a camera like someone sitting next realizing your your pocket is hot you know uh like for you uh which i was like oh man i i remember that moment i was like why did i let him do this (laughs) um but uh i don't most of the time I don't the sorrow factor I've been able to push back because I have a mission to do. I have, I have something to accomplish. And so it's important for me to write songs to deal with all those emotions and all that sadness. And then also to, to have phrases in her language that when I say goodbye to her, I know what I mean by the phrase, um, you know, uh, and it might be something as similar or similar in, in Thailand. It's like soy, soy ma ma, which I'm sure she hears all the time, but um, something along the lines of you're so beautiful, soy ma pa. Um, but by that, I'm, I'm giving her a blessing in the only way I know how to, without being weird, without being creepy, without being yeah. overly spiritual. I'm, I'm speaking worth and value into this, to this girl that I probably am not going to impact her life in any way other than um that short time that i treated her with dignity and respect in the midst of this awful awful um environment that she's so used to being in and maybe uh in another life i'll see her again and she'll get to know that i was there for something other than what it looked like i was there yeah. for yeah that's yeah, it's uh it's that was just a crazy experience man um have you ever um you know, experienced any spiritual warfare in this kind of work or um, had any like just kind of weird experiences, uh, you know, in these kind of dark places? I don't know. I don't, I am, um, I'm a little bit of a doubting Thomas in, in some regard to, to some of that stuff. And yet that was a big topic on this last trip with a lot of my, my uh, buddies that were working alongside me. Um, cause I'm a skeptic when it comes to, um, some, some of that aspect of things. Although, uh, a lot of people that I really respect, um, have been around, have been around that, you know, I, I wonder all the way back to what happened to Jason Russell from Coney 2012, the, the video from invisible children did Joseph Coney, the warlord trafficking children. Um, did he, was he able to attach something to Jason that affected his mental health. Um, and I don't look at it like there's like these dark entities in these places. Like I don't, I don't view these places that way. Like, um, and I think that the, the true darkness is the apathy hmm. that so many of us are able to have towards these humanitarian crises from yeah. our castles, our insulated castles of comfort and our idolatry of safety, our idolatry of security. Um, and how we insulate ourselves. I think that's, that's um, to use the word maybe metaphorically, I think that's demonic. Mm-hmm. Um, what the, and so I don't, I'm dodging your question because I, I, without offending anybody, I don't, I don't really see that. I don't see that in these girls. Like I think lust is a uh, similar to greed. You know, if, if, if there are, you know, demonic forces in these brothels that we're in. 
Then there's demonic forces and the powers in the United States, specifically in church going people, people that attend church buildings that defend lust and greed and the grab for wealth at the highest order in individuals that are promoted and defended and and given all sorts of um all sorts of leeway because they they say it like it is um that's equally demonic in my mind and something to root out of our culture yeah um so if you asked my you know this last trip i was on there was an assemblies of god pastor (laughs) And he's going to answer your question way differently. Sure. There, there was, um, you know, a, a military guy. There's a, a guy that works on windmills that's Catholic. And they were all talking about exorcism and, and stuff like that. But I, I've, um, the, for me, the darkness is very literal. It's very real. It's very true. Sure. It's, yeah. it, it's people that, that want what they want, and they're willing to take advantage of someone else's poverty to get it. Yeah. That's dark. That's dark enough for me. Oh, for sure. And I mean, those things hide. It's not like you walk into a brothel and there's just like a demon standing there. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's going to be under the surface and stuff like that. But um, does um, does the Exodus Road do, are they mainly internationally focused? Like, have you done, um, do they do anything stateside? Because I know, you know, trafficking in the U.S. looks quite a bit different than it does in a lot of these places, but it's yeah. still very real. Yeah, it's very real. And we are working here in the United States. We barely can talk about it. Hmm. Uh, But a big part that we can talk about is our cyber forensics teams. Um, And what I talked about with the uh, open source, working alongside law enforcement with open source. And we got technology that is really, really cool. That can do really remarkable things, scary things that civilians have access to this kind of technology. Yeah. Makes you wonder what what non civilians have access to. Like it's really incredible what we can use technology for good on, um, and it looks different. And I think the best um, to stay controversial with you. Uh, <laughs> I think the clearest example when people wonder how did you know that's not trafficking. How you know uh, that's that's just prostitution. That's just some girl right. uh, selling herself online. Um, Andrew Tate's website, which he took down this part of it, he explains in his personal actions what sex trafficking looks like in the United States very, very clearly. And the, the kind of sex trafficking that he claims that he participated in was would be kind of the Romeo, the Romeo idea, the boyfriend. So he, he talks about how he would get romantically involved with girls for the sake of exploiting them online. Yeah. pretending that he's interested in them romantically and that would be i think fraud and coercion so trafficking mm-hmm. fraud, force or coercion was selling someone for sexual services and that's exactly what andrew tate did so all those guys defending him it's like in his own words he, he says yeah i by yeah. definition i i got rich off of sex trafficking girls yeah that's like um it's it's uh it's very much like um how do i say it it's 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 more like subtle, I guess not always, but in like, like the way it works here, I read a book like right kind of before we kind of met up that yeah. like really underscored how it works for me. Cause like you said, yeah, like a lot of people see a, a girl, you know, a prostitute or whatever. And they're like, Oh, it's just, that's her fault. She's a prostitute or whatever. And sometimes maybe or whatever. But, um, what happens a lot of times, like you said, is an older guy very intentionally and knowing exactly what he's doing 
will basically get a younger, very impressionable, usually from a broken home, poor girl to like fall in love with him, buy her stuff, treat her like a princess, da da da. And then, you know, um, a month or two into it, when she's completely isolated, left whatever family she had, has no money, has nothing but him, maybe he's got her on drugs. Um, then he, you know, invites three guys over and they take advantage of her and, and then, um, they lock her in a closet for like a week or something. And then, um, it's, it's very different. It's insidious. It's like subtle, but it's also very intentional in how they do it. And it's scary. Um, it's crazy, man. It's scary that it happens and it's scary. It's really scary that someone like Andrew Tate is out there influencing our sons. Yeah. Guys of like all the other talking points about masculinity, blah, 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 blah. He is teaching our boys how to be awful, how to be awful human beings. Mm. And and he has the defense of so many like notable figures in Christianity and in certain, certain um, corners of, of political mindset. Like it's, it's really annoying to me um, because he, he pretty much lays it out. Just like, I think there's a book called the, the Bible of Pimpology or something like that, that it lays out what, and we're fragile. We're fragile. And I, I always wondered why 18 years old was such a, you know, such a number. But now that I have teenagers, now that I have a 15-year-old girl, I have a 17-year-old boy, I have a 12-year-old daughter, um, now I understand how impressionable we are oh, yeah. age in particular and how we're just looking for any sort of validation, mm-hmm. sort of love. And Especially yeah. when you come from a home where, like, you know, your parents didn't care about you and like you're like literally seeking for anyone to latch on that seems like they're giving you love and material stuff and attention and these girls just and they'll just leave with these guys and then not know what they're walking into i think adam kusher's uh thorn helps a lot with that kind of thing because traffickers know how to target vulnerable Mm -hmm. on social media and um and our kids are, are are stepping into a world as digital natives, where you and I are digital pioneers. Um, where I mean, we're the Exodus Road has an amazing um, program that I've been presenting uh, about online safety for kids, and we find out that we're really wired for five five close people hmm. interactions, fifteen uh, good friends, you know five best friends that includes family 15 and then kind of 50 is a healthy mark for acquaintances in a typical time span. But our kids are dealing with hundreds Hmm. a day, you know, of people that, and, and it's changed, it's changing the way we are as humans. Um, and we, we need to recognize how vulnerable they are and how different you know, social online social interactions are way different for my kids than they are for me. Just a simple yeah. text is different for my kids than it is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to look out for them, not by dissing them, because I think I think I think teenagers right now are some of the coolest, most interesting people ever. They are very cool and they are very smart and they're very interesting. Um, and their their common sense is different than our common sense, you know. Mm-hmm just recognizing that because they're like, why, why does it take you so long to add just to mute the commercial? Just hit that one button. Why do you have to <laughs> fill on every time? Which is me, like me saying to them, 
hey, when I said start the laundry, I, you know, change the laundry out. I, you know, take it from the washer to the dryer. They're, well, you didn't say start the dryer. Well, it's kind of assumed, you know, <laughs> like that's, a, uh, but realizing how vulnerable they are and how much they need people in their lives, not to judge them, not to, 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 to talk down to them or, or make fun of them, but to, to come alongside them. Um, and also to, to be tender. They need, yeah. you know, this obsession with, uh, with being tough and manly. Um, I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it's helpful. And I'm, you're talking to a guy that just roofed his house with his kids that, that, that is trying to, I've never been a mechanic my whole life. I'm taking out steering consoles with my son, just trying to figure stuff out, <laughs> but I'm also, you know, a poet, you know, and I'm a musician. Yeah. And I cry a lot in film. Uh, when I'm <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I'm not an expert. You know, I'm trying to figure out things with my own kids, but realizing how vulnerable they are and not pointing the finger at them, not pushing them away. And we push so many kids away. The most vulnerable of the most vulnerable are yelled at uh, on social media by, by the, the, the moral church-going crowd. Yeah. And it's doing irreparable damage hmm. and it makes me sad. Yeah, man. Um, it's good to hear you say like that teenagers are cool and like interesting. Cause I feel like everyone wants to hate on the younger generation. Um, we were there, man. I don't know if yeah. you're, ex. I don't know if you're ex or whatever. We were cool too. You know, <laughs> I'm a millennial man. Watching stranger things, man. I'm like, man, we were <laughs> such a cool group in the eighties. And then the yeah. millennials were cool people always diss the millennials my wife's a millennial yeah millennials are cool and these kids are cool yeah yeah so boomers man boomers were cool too but what have they become you know <laughs> no, I'm kidding. uh well you know we're coming up on on an hour a little over an hour here so um to try to wrap it up into a little bit of a bow here you know one of the things you kind of mentioned it earlier and one thing that really drew me to your message and and your mission when I first kind of found out about you. Uh, and it's one of your lyrics. I think one of your songs, it's also obviously in the Bible, but you talk about bringing your loaves and fish, right? Mm -hmm. Like um, just humbly doing what small thing you can. Um, and, you know, some people probably think I'm crazy and just like talking about conspiracy theory stuff. And maybe I am a little bit, but also I see some of it as, trying to use my tiny platform for good and i don't want to go too far off into it but i also want to you know spread the gospel and, and talk about jesus and um, it's always been part of the podcast so i see that as kind of one of my loaves per se so but just this idea of humbly bringing to the table what you can knowing that god can multiply um and a lot of it comes from your intention and your heart and what you're doing and so I don't know, I guess what would be like your encouragement or your advice for folks um, as far as how they can, how they can do good in the world? You know, not everybody has the means or opportunity to, to go undercover into a brothel in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, like we did, you know, or, um, or whatever. But I don't know, what would you say to those folks that might be hearing this and say, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to do something. Some people do have the capacity and the time to sign up on the Exodus Roads Delta team and invest, you know, four or five grand a year uh, to go over for two weeks, give your vacation time, get trained. Uh, and there's been five individuals so far that have been recruited at Remedy Drive shows to do exactly that. 
Nice. They have that currency. They might have a particular set of skills already. Um, they might not. Um, that's an option. Or you have a podcast. That's your currency. You're using the currency of your podcast at the pulpit of your digital congregation to shine a light on freedom and hope and justice. Just like I do with the currency I have. I have my microphone. I have my songwriting ability. Mm -hmm. That's my particular set of skills. I'm using that. That's my currency. And we all have a currency. My microphone and my music. This voice I own, I'm going to use it. <laughs> you got it, baby. That's, <laughs> That's my you. Lyric. Um, and I am always amazed at, I like keeping it broad and wide open because I'm amazed at the things that I'm finding out about. There's some longtime fans of Remedy Drive, our band, that just instead of getting toasters and high thread count sheets and towels for the <laughs> wedding, they put nine grand, their, their community, put nine grand to the front line of rescues. Oh, wow. The road has a $20 a month, like send, you know, buy a couple drinks for an investigator. I like that, the ring of that, you know? Yeah. Like do that, you know, buy, buy one of my friends, like pay for all the drinks for a night, you know, pay 20 bucks for one club's drinks, uh, you know, and potentially that 20 bucks leads to the freedom and mm -hmm. some girls and the dismantling of a criminal network. Whatever your currency is, your voice, your time, your art, your youth, if you spend yourself on behalf of the oppressed, says Isaiah the prophet, then your light will rise like the noonday. Mm. And we all have a currency. What are you going to spend it on? You might think it's just a tiny podcast or a non-household name rock and roll band, but <laughs> what is seemingly insignificant to whoever's hearing this is not insignificant. And the only way the world is being changed is through those seemingly insignificant acts of love, those seemingly insignificant acts of courage, because this arc of the moral universe, as Dr. King says, as long as it is, it's bending towards justice. And you can throw the weight that you have and pull it down alongside me and Hunter and everybody else that's, that, that is keeping on chipping away, tearing a little corner off the darkness. So that's my challenge for you. At the very least, join the Exodus Road um, you know, with 20 bucks a month or um, sharing sharing stories of uh, of the raids that are successful, um, whatever your currency is, join yeah. us. Yeah, man, that's so good. And um, you know, if people are listening. Where can people go to support, find out more about Exodus Road, and support it, and also find out about your music and and that kind of stuff? What you got going on? Go to remedydrive.com, and then you'll see the tabs there. You can listen to music. You can read about the Exodus Road. You can get involved. There's yeah. a number of text there that's long, so I won't say it, but the, you, you'll get updates if you text that number whenever a raid is announced, a successful nice. raid is announced, which is cool. Yeah. And I my my favorite album is North Star. I think it's a really good album, so I recommend people check it out. <laughs> but, yeah, man, thanks for your time, dude. This has been really cool. Um, maybe we can get back on sometime and just do a whole show about Nephilim and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would do that in a heartbeat. Like, uh, <laughs> But I don't know. You're just going to debunk all my theories the whole time? Well, I, no, I just I, – I just – I wasn't debunking. I'm just giving – No, no, you're more balanced than I am. <laughs> cautionary, like, okay, let's, uh, let's make sure to <laughs> – No, you hey, need balance for sure. But I love going deep. My guys on this last trip, I uh, when I was talking about cows being uh, beamed up to, to and taken to the backside of the moon, they were. Um, that's where I lost them. So I can go deep. <laughs> what we did. Oh, dude, I've I've been. Uh, have you heard of? You've heard of missing four one one, right? Huh. Oh my gosh. Okay, missing four one one. It's this phenomenon all across the world, and but like a lot of times in like 
national parks or like um like mount shasta is a big one um yellowstone but all over the place like people will just like usually a lot of times it's hunters just yeah. vanish yeah i know about that happening and like sometimes they'll be like folded their clothing will be like folded on like a tree stump and they're just gone yeah and anyway so they there's a new one not new but it's called missing 411 the hunted it's all about hunters and one of the stories is a guy he like claims that he saw a a ufo abducting elk to like do experiments on them and stuff but anyway or just, not maybe not to do experiments maybe maybe them. build flesh suits that are android uh <laughs> Android vessels for the kind of entities that Jesus threw into the pigs from Legion that actually pilot spacecraft. Okay, so you think you're 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 in the uh, alien is a meat suit for demons camp. Uh, and by demon, I mean the disembodied the disembodied disembodied spirits of the Nephilim of the Nephilim's offspring that don't right. have any place. So that they said to Jesus, "Wait a second, I thought I thought we had this agreement, and that agreement they're speaking of is in the Book of Enoch." Mm -hmm. um, now that's that a whole I other podcast reestablish some credibility i'm throwing it all the way here but i, I would love to talk to you about that at some point no i think uh if people are still listening to my podcast they're um they're, they're, they're already all right. yeah. <laughs> uh I, I weeded out the uh the skeptics a while ago maybe but nice. <laughs> no but this has been great man um let's uh let's try to stay in touch better man because uh yeah. it's been good talking to you again you too all right, man. Thanks again, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be in touch. All right. All right, man. Thanks.